Yes, the time has finally come. It is football season, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. And this is going to be the training camp preview episode because by the time you listen to this, the New York Giants will have likely taken the practice field and begun practicing for real this time. None of this spring seven-on-seven passing camp type stuff. We're talking about real Football, or at least stuff that resembles real football, 11 on 11, with full pads, on a football field, with the 2019 New York Giants. And what I'm going to do here in this episode is I'm going to talk about the things that I'm going to be watching throughout training camp. Now, I want you guys, all you listeners, all my followers, make sure you email me, text me, tweet me, whatever, and tell me what you want me to be watching on a, on a, a daily basis. Every day, right? Every day. I want to know what you guys want to know about the Giants. And now I can't make everybody happy, but I'll do my best to try and bring you what you want. Because that's what I'm here for. But let's start off with the things that I know going in, I'm going to be watching closely. Now, a lot changes. Guys get injured. Guys go down. Who knows what happens? There's trades, signings. But heading into training camp uh, at the end of July, so July 23rd, I believe, when I'm taping this, these are the things that I'm going to be looking at. And there's nowhere else you got to start aside from Daniel Jones, right? Number six overall pick, quarterback of the future. Forget Eli Manning. Anything he does in training camp, it's really null and void. You know what you got with Eli Manning at this point, right? I mean... Guy won two Super Bowls. Super Bowl MVP quarterback. His play deteriorated the last few years. Look at his numbers. Every way, shape, or form. Touchdowns. Uh, big plays. Uh, I mean, I, you, you might point out completion percentage. Whatever. We know what Eli Manning is. That's the point. Let's not even get into that conversation right now, right? I don't think all of a sudden at 38 years old, we're going to come up and show up for training camp, and we're going to see a completely different quarterback than we've seen the last few, three, four years. Okay, He is what he is. Can they be better around him? Maybe. That's what we'll talk about in a little bit. But it's all about Daniel Jones. The future of the franchise is contingent on how good Daniel Jones is. Now, we'll get a little better taste throughout training camp. Still not the real deal, because until a quarterback gets on the field, when the defense can actually hit him, that's when you know really what this guy has, right? How's he going to be able to handle the real pressure when he can get hit? How can he? How does he respond when he gets knocked in the teeth, when he gets his teeth kicked in? Because that happens in the NFL. Is he going to step in there and make those throws with that pressure right in his face? Because in training camp, you understand, they wear red jerseys. All the quarterbacks wear red jerseys. So Daniel Jones will be wearing a red jersey. Let's say Lorenzo Carter comes around the edge, gets a clean look at him, Daniel Jones knows he can still step into the throw and throw it and know that Lorenzo Carter is going to run right past him because he's wearing that red jersey, which means you don't touch that guy. So the preseason is going to be big, but we can collect little hints, see how he does uh, handling defenses that he hasn't faced, different looks, how he adjusts, how he learns from mistakes. Now... I'll bring this up because when Ben McAdoo came in, right, first year, 
2014 actually uh, aligns with with uh, Odell Beckham, I believe. Beckham was injured in training camp, or he was dealing with a hamstring injury for most of training camp. Anyway, that whole spring and summer, Eli Manning's learning a new offense, right? First time in a long time he's picking up a new offense. This is a totally new system. McAdoo's asking him to do new things with his footwork. They're really working on that. And Eli was really was a disaster early in that spring and summer. Like the Giants' offense as a whole was a mess. They're learning this new offense. They, they it didn't look it didn't look any like anything like a real NFL offense. So how Jones can come in now? He this isn't a new offense for the Giants, but it's a new offense for him. If he could come in and look decent, that he command the offense, which he did in the spring, he looked like, hey, he had a good command of the offense. He knew where to throw the ball. He wasn't forcing passes. He wasn't think, seeing things that weren't happening. He wasn't throwing two or three interceptions a day, which really was what was happening when Eli changed to that offense three or four years ago. Now, he ended up having a good year. That year in 2014, Eli, I'm talking about. So it's not completely indicative of how a quarterback ultimately will play that season. But these are all signs of whether is Daniel Jones that future franchise star that the Giants are obviously banking on. Because when you draft a guy with a number six overall pick, he's going to be their starter. It's a matter of when, not if. Now, it's not going to be week one. I've talked about this before. There's no real quarterback competition. But... We're going to be collecting little clues all throughout the summer about Daniel Jones. His arm looked good in the spring. But how does it look when he's going at it every day? When he's playing every day, right? And he's getting worn down in training camp. And he takes some hits in a preseason game. These are all things we got to watch. I don't think that should be a problem. I don't think arm, uh, in retrospect of, of watching Daniel Jones in the spring, I don't think arm is something early in his career you're going to be like, ah, he doesn't have enough arm. Now, whether he can lift the other players around him, it'll be interesting to see. But you want to see it in that live environment that we're going to get a look at. Now, the other thing at the quarterback position that really intrigues me is Kyle Oletta. Right? And we had him on the podcast last week. And if you haven't listened to that, go back. There's this pretty interesting interview with Kyle Oletta. Talked about everything from his how he was brought up in a football family to the arrests last year to... Uh, what he expects from this coming upcoming season. And as he mentioned, and he was pretty blunt about it, and he was actually was pretty blunt about everything, I thought. But he mentioned that this season, his goal is first to make the team. And that seems like, a, you know, he was a draft pick last year. The Giants invested in him. So they have some, you know, they, they, they have some investment in him. But he was a fourth rounder. He didn't play particularly well last year. The head coach came out and even said some things about him that basically said he didn't think he could play last year. Now, he obviously doesn't have the big arm. To me, he looks like probably a backup quarterback in the NFL, guy who can get by because of the his cerebral approach to the game. Has some decent athleticism, decent backup quarterback. But he's going to have to make this team because Eli Manning could book his spot in the roster, right? He's starting week one, barring something crazy. Daniel Jones, he's on the roster. He's the number six overall pick. He ain't going anywhere. We know that. And Alex Tanney, they like as a veteran. Maybe they say, oh, we want Alex Tanney 
to be able to throw him in in the middle of a game if we have to. He's the veteran here. Who knows? They obviously like Tanny enough to keep him around all last year. But, hey, it's possible the Giants only go two quarterbacks. It's possible they go three with Tanny. Where would that leave Oletta? So he's fighting for that third spot, if there even is one. And it's interesting because there's a new regime. And what we found out about the new regime is you have to be one of their guys, right? They've pretty much gotten rid of almost everybody that's not their guys that they didn't bring in, that they didn't draft. Overhauled the roster, for better or worse. Make that judgment later. They overhauled the roster. If you weren't one of their guys, you likely found your way out the door. Kyle Oletta is their one of their guys. They just drafted him last year in the mid-rounds. It would be quite an indictment to then cut your fourth-round pick a year later without really having seen him in any extended action in an NFL game. So I'm interested to see what happens with Kyle Oletta here this summer. So the quarterback position will be watching probably closer than at any time uh, since Eli Manning really became the starter. And especially after since he started winning Super Bowls. So all eyes on the quarterbacks. That's where it begins. Now the other thing, second to me, is the pass rushers. Who are this team's primary pass rushers? Where are they going to get pass rushers off the edge? Lorenzo Carter looks like the most likely option. Second-year guy out of Georgia, has nice length. Pretty solid rookie season. I believe he had five and a half sacks. Can he really carry the load? Can he be the guy? You know, is he a guy that opposing teams are going to have to point out before the game? Put their attention towards stopping Lorenzo Carter. That's a big jump we're asking for. A really big jump. Which, as much as I I think Lorenzo Carter is a solid quality player in this league, I'm not sure he's that kind of player. I'm not sure he's a number one pass rusher, uh, other teams, opposing teams game plan for type pass rusher. But the Giants, it would be nice if he blossoms into that because they don't have that guy. Marcus Golden, the other guy who's another interesting pass rusher, 12 and a half sacks two years ago, tore his knee, missed the year, came back last year, wasn't the same player. Can he capture that old form playing under James Betcher. We'll see. My gut and intuition tells me that Marcus Golden is going to be almost hidden this summer. You're not going to see a ton from him. That they're almost going to try and save him. Which to me, I don't know if that's a great sign. He's two years removed from this injury. If you're still having to do that, which we saw a little bit in the spring... It makes you wonder, is it really there? Is he going to come back and be the same player? But we're going to find out in the summer training camp, maybe a little bit in the preseason. This is going to provide us some of that evidence. O'Shane Zimenez, third-round pick out of Old Dominion. Let's be honest, none of us have ever seen Old Dominion play. So what can O'Shane Zimenez bring in year one? Making the jump from Old Dominion, I don't think the expectations should be that high for his rookie season. Because that's a big jump. Pass rushers in general usually take time. They usually take a good two years. I mean, you name the guy. And it usually takes them a couple years before they really become a top-level pass rusher. And we're talking about a guy who's coming from Old Dominion. 
not Ohio State. This isn't Von Miller. You know who Von Miller was top pick. This isn't Cleo Mack, even though he came from Buffalo. A top pick. This is a third round pick from Old Dominion. So we'll see what he could bring to the table. Now, let me give provide this warning about training camp. Pass rushers usually dominate, right? Especially second and third team pass rushers. You know why? Because second and third team pass rushers are guys that are basically rotational guys. They're playing on passing down. So they're almost starters. They're playing 56% in the set, 60% of the snaps. They're good players, quality players going against second and third team offensive linemen, second and third team offensive tackles. The Giants, remember, started Eric Flowers at right tackle last year. They started Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart at tackle. So if those are the starters, if those are first team guys, and granted, they probably shouldn't have been first team guys. But even then, Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers are still first-team offensive linemen with other teams in this league. Imagine what the second and third-team tackles usually equate to. So those, sec- like you know, the, like the Marcus Golden. Let's say he's he's running with the uh, second-team defense because the starters are uh, Lorenzo Carter and Kareem Martin. So Marcus Golden spending most of his time with the second-team defense to start. And then in nickel package a little bit. And so he's going against a second team tackles. Guys you probably never heard of. Guys I can't even rattle off the top of my head. Most of the time. So, gotta be careful looking at pass rushers throughout practice. Cause they're going against offensive linemen who usually aren't even gonna be in the league in a couple weeks. The other thing I'm looking for is I wanna find out what Jabril Peppers really is as a player. Okay, the Giants are really, really high on him. I've said this before. There's people in that building who think he could be as good, better than Landon Collins. Yeah, that's right. I said that. Better. Potentially better. That's what some people in there believe. We're going to see. We're going to see. Because the reality on Jabril Peppers is he had a rough rookie year. He had a much better second year. Look like a quality player, but he's never approached Pro Bowl caliber yet. So he's got to make that jump. Is he, is he that level of player? From what I've heard, I don't think he's a great cover guy either. Great athlete can move him and use him in a lot of places, but I don't think he's a dynamite cover guy. You're not going to be able to see him be used in a Tyron Matthew type of, uh, role. The same way Tyron Matthew was, because he's a basically a natural cornerback. Jabril Peppers isn't that. And the Giants, they need him to be not just a quality player. They need him to be a playmaker. They need him to be a Pro Bowl caliber player. That's what they're banking on here. So we're going to find out if he's ready to make that jump, if he's that level of a player. We haven't seen it yet at the NFL level. No one's seen it. Go ask any Browns fan. Not that level. But they need it because there's a lack of real, true defensive playmakers on this defense. Real difference makers. Will they hope? And this is another, the next thing I'm looking at. They hope they maybe have some of them at cornerback. Right? Put next to Janaris Jenkins, who we know he's a pretty good player. He's the closest thing they have to a defensive playmaker on that defense. 
a top-level defensive playmaker. But he'll have DeAndre Baker next to him. Or maybe Sam Beal, third-round supplemental pick from the year before. Baker's a first-round pick, number 30 this year. Right? You have those two guys. Young, athletic, long, good-looking athletes. Who's going to step up there? Grant Haley, strong year last year. Liked what you saw out of him. And then the Corey Ballantines, Julian Loves, other draft picks from this year. What do the Giants have with these guys? We're going to find out. We're going to find out when they get matched up against quality NFL receivers. Can they run with Sterling Shepard? Let's see DeAndre Baker get matched up with Sterling Shepard. I like what I saw with DeAndre Baker this spring. I will say that. There were positive signs there, and I talked to some people. Mike Thomas was on this podcast. He mentioned it. I spoke to a bunch of people inside the organization, a bunch of guys that went against him. DeAndre Baker looks like he's going to be a player. He, to me, is going to be the most impactful rookie for the New York Giants this season. Now, this is probably my biggest concern with the defense that I'm going to be looking for. Do they have a cover linebacker on this roster? A guy that they could play three downs at linebacker position and be confident that they could cover somebody? Because I'll be honest with you. I don't care how many interceptions Alec Ogletree had last year. I don't want Alec Ogletree going and covering running backs, quality pass catching running backs, and tight ends one-on-one very often. Okay? And aside from, and he's the best they have at that. So aside from that, who's next? Tay Davis spent the spring as the nickel linebacker next to Alec Ogletree. Or, you know, as the nickel linebacker in general, sorry. And I'm not so sure about Tay Davis being a guy that I feel confident covering guys down the middle of the field. And this has been a giant problem for years now. Now they pit drafted Ryan Connolly. Maybe he's a guy that will step into that role. Maybe there's someone else. Maybe B.J. Goodson they look at as somebody. I know he's more of a thumper, but where does he fit into this mix? I don't know. I don't know because I'm looking at how can the Giants stop opposing teams from completing passes at will in the middle of the field, in the flat, for 8, 10, 12 yards. Anytime they need a big play, you just attack the Giants' linebackers. Because that's what it's been the last couple of years. And that's what, if I'm an opposing team, I'm doing the same thing this year. We'll find out this summer if they have a solution. I have my doubts on that one. Right tackle competition. Mike Remmers coming off a back injury. At least uh, an upgrade if he's healthy. You kind of like that move. You put Remmers next to Kevin Zeitler on that right side if that's the combo. And you say that's much better than they had last year. Right, They started the season with Patrick Omame and Eric Flowers, who were both, both out of the starting lineup by the middle of the season. Off the team by the middle of the season, for God's sakes. So Mike Rammers against Chad Wheeler. Maybe Wheeler makes a jump. Uh, he's had some significant playing time in his first two years, but it's been pretty up and down. Young player, though. Maybe he can develop into a quality starter. We'll see. I'll be watching that right tackle competition. Another thing, this was one thing I won't be watching, okay? Because there's going to be no reason for me to see Saquon Barkley do much. He's going to do enough in the regular season. He's going to catch enough passes, 
have enough runs, have enough touches, you know, maybe even approach 300-ish, that I don't need to see him do much this summer. All right? Get Saquon in football shape. Let him practice. Keep him healthy. Don't risk anything. This offense is built around Saquon Barkley. He's their guy. I don't need to see much from him. I know what he could do already. I know he only played one year in the NFL, but I know what he can do. We know, we, we think we know that the, what the offense is going to look like, and it's going to be based around him. As run heavy as you can get in today's environment. Right? Because this is a league that's designed to pass the ball, even though the Giants have sort of built the team to run the ball more, I wouldn't say predominantly, but to run the ball more than most. They built the team to be able to do that. And we're going to find out now that they reconfigured it a little bit, if they really are going to be a team that maybe even runs the ball more than they pass it, which is almost unheard of these days. Is that possible? With a 38-year-old quarterback, an offensive line that you bulked up, and Saquon Barkley in the backfield, that this is going to be a run-first team? I still think they're going to pass the ball more than they run it, which in today's game is advisable. But they're going to lean, they're going to, they're heading towards running the ball more. We're just going to see how much. So I'm interested to see the look of the offense. What did Pat Shermer go into his cave this offseason? And, you know, what did he come out? What, what is him and Mike Shula going to come out with? Right? The two of them, they went to the blackboard. They drew up all these plays. What's it going to look like? I'm interested. We'll find that out this summer. So those are the things heading into training camp that I am particularly, especially close, going to keep my eyes on. And let's be honest. It all begins with Daniel Jones. It begins and then ends with Daniel Jones. Because this organization is only going to turn it around if Daniel Jones turns out to be the real deal. This summer is going to provide some clues. So get ready. I will provide you daily updates, and I beg you, make sure you follow along on Instagram. I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff on Instagram this year at training camp. I got some things planned. I'm tired of reporting something or doing something, putting it out on Twitter, having people take it on Instagram use it, and these people, New York Giants, whatever, you know, account, then they're having 50,000 followers on Instagram, and people are going to their Instagram account, and like, like they're providing the information. So I'm going to cut out that middleman. I'm going to do it myself. So make sure you follow along on Instagram. I'm going to have a plan to provide some new features there that I hope you're going to like. And it's centered around Daniel Jones because you all want to know. You're all going to want to know. That's all everyone asks me. How's Daniel Jones look? How Daniel Jones look? How Daniel Jones look? That's in the spring. But now real football's here. So everyone's going to ask and ask and ask. And when you ask, you shall receive. And with that, 
On to the next one. I'm going to do a little bonus section here. We're going to call it Oh, Really? And we're going to talk a little bit here about Odell Beckham. Right? We're going to get this out of the way. Right? And then once training camp starts, we're going to try and move on now. It's impossible to completely move on from this situation as some people want. Because you have to be honest. And people are going to say this to me every time I write or put or say something about Odell. And, like, move on. He's not on the team anymore. Well, look. The New York Giants traded one of the best players in the NFL. Okay? We're talking about a top, top, top level player. A guy who at one point, when he was a rookie, didn't play much in the spring. Missed training camp in the preseason, for the most part, all of it, with a hamstring injury. Didn't play in the first four games. Came back as a rookie without having played all that time, and went for 1,305 yards with 12 touchdowns. Think about how ridiculous that is. Okay? And pretty much all, whenever he's been on the field, he's been a great player. Playoff game, disastrous. Got it. Injuries have been a problem. Maybe those things continue. Off the field, pain in the butt. A lot of things you could sit there and complain about. Right, and but now he's gone. They traded him, and we're going to be sitting here, gauging and grading and deciding if that was the right move for years to come. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Same as like when the Giants cut Phil Sims. You sat there and you talked about whether it was the right move for her until they started winning again. When they drafted Eli Manning, same thing. Early in his career, remember all the Eli talk. All you were talking about was that drafting of Eli, the draft trade of Eli. All these things. These major, major, major moves. It's going to be talked about for years to come. Now, Odell, he keeps talking about it. A GQ article came out. It's from a couple months ago. It was from the spring, I believe, back in May. Maybe even early June. And some of the comments were interesting. I felt disrespected. Um... Basically said he was the Giants' brand. They were getting primetime games because of him. Now, I will say this. That is the one comment that you realize how self-absorbed he is and how off-base he was. The Giants are not getting primetime games because Odell Beckham's on the roster. The NFC East, the New York Giants, huge market, huge TV market, huge media market. They're a sell. They're an attraction. You put... These teams, these big markets, these big teams, these popular teams have been around forever with big fan bases on prime time. They get good ratings. Doesn't matter basically who is on the team. They could all be nameless guys. Still going to be attracting good audiences. So the idea that Odell was getting them primetime games I found just laughable. Makes you realize how he thinks of himself. And in this case, was probably too high. Now, some of the other things, fine. He's still bitter about the trade. He's allowed to be. That's fine. He could say whatever he wants. He, the part I found I, I thought was funny was when he said he was disrespected. Now, people are like, oh, disrespected. They paid him, you know, 95. They were going to pay him 95 million. I get it. But that's not what he was saying he was disrespected about. He said he felt disrespected. And he, this is kind of 
you know, you just chuckle when you hear this and you could see it happening. He felt disrespected in that the Giants did not tell, they weren't straight with him about trying to trade him. We all knew they were trying to trade him. You heard the rumors. The question, and I was saying this for a while before and I didn't know they would pull the trigger, is Gettleman and Shermer were on board with trading him. They basically wanted him gone. We all knew that. The thing was, would ownership pull the trigger on it? Would ownership be able to pull the trigger on a Nodell Beckham Jr. trade? So we knew that Shermer and Gettleman had moved on. They were ready to go and move him. So he gets a text after he gets traded. This is where the disrespectful comment came in. He said he, he the coach texted me, oh, I heard the news. And Odell's thinking to himself, you heard the news. Of course you heard the news. You you made the news. You've been trying to trade me for months. So that's where he felt he was disrespected, is that they wouldn't tell him straight up. Remember the comments that they kept, uh, Gettleman kept saying publicly, we didn't sign him to trade him. You know, th- he was getting the same talk behind the scenes from them. They weren't straight up with him telling him that they were, they wanted to move him, that they were looking to move him. So he's, that's where he's, well, I get, I felt disrespected part came from. So I get that part. But the primetime games out, it's the one that rubbed me the wrong way. Aside from that, you know, whatever. He's allowed to be bitter. He got traded. He's allowed to be bitter of how it went in New York. That's his prerogative. All fine and dandy. But he's probably best off at this point not talking about it anymore because he's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. Now, I will say this about Odell Beckham Jr. I think he's going to have a huge year. Huge year. Okay? For many reasons. Number one is he's super motivated because he hears there's a lot of people out there. He's a cancer to teams and uh, he you can't have this guy on your roster. It's the right move to trade him. So he's out there to prove people wrong. And I know a lot of people think, oh, the Browns are going to blow up. There's too many personalities there. And maybe they will. But in my opinion, it's not going to be in year one. That'll take time if that happens. Odell, as much as you want to say about him, he was never a guy who publicly complained during game in the in the season and during games. You didn't hear a lot about that, about him saying, oh, I didn't get the ball enough. I didn't get the ball enough. After the fact, yeah, the playoff game a year or two later, he's complaining about not getting enough passes, which is also was asinine. Uh but so I think I think he'll be he'll be willing to be on board with his buddy and I think he's playing with a better quarterback this year. I maybe Baker now is comparable to what Eli was in fourteen when he was a rookie, maybe fifteen, and that's when he had his best numbers. So he's playing with a better quarterback than he has the past few years. He's playing with a team that's on the seems to be on the rise. There's gonna be a ton of juice to them. Honestly, I think he's gonna be have a, a, a MVP caliber type year. You have to remember how good, how great a player he is. I think we've forgotten. I think it's been dulled a little bit over the past year or two because of everything that's happened, including him breaking his ankle, which was not his fault. So he missed, not this past year, the year before that. But remember how great this guy was. And the things that he can do on the field are things I've never seen from anybody else. He is that 
good when he's on his game. I think he's going to remind people of that. So I, I, if, if this might hurt some Giants fans, but I think he's going to have a great year. Be in the MVP discussion. Like That's how good he's going to be. A possible 1,500-yard type year. Now, of course, he has to stay healthy. See if he could do that. It's all contingent on that. And honestly, I can't predict that. I can't predict if his quarterback's going to throw the ball high and he's going to end up getting his, his ankles landed on and shattered, which is what happened two years ago. So, who knows? But, that's my thoughts on the Odell situation. For the most part, we're going to move on from that. It's training camp. It's Giants football. Not Browns football. Giants football that I will be watching. And I will be giving you updates every day. On to the next one. We'll wrap up this episode with a little Jordan on the beat. That's the part of this podcast where I give you a little rundown of what it's like to be a Giants beat reporter, what it's like to cover the Giants, the NFL, work for ESPN. I have a pretty funny story. I think it's a funny story to tell you. And then we will close it up, wrap it up, and get to watching actual football practices. Exciting times here. Exciting times, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, here's my little Jordan on the beat story for this week, right? So... Because we're going to training camp. It reminds me of this. This was when I first go and I'm first at ESPN. So maybe, what, three summers, three, four summers ago? And I'm doing TV. I have to – Odell, actually, I think he got his foot – stepped on, hurt his ankle, something like that. D, him and DRC, I think, kind of got tangled up. Anyway, so Sports Center says we need you to come on. So I'm a one-man show this day. There's no – actual camera there so i have to set it up the pod tripod the phone everything and link up to the studio first time i've ever done it for espn first time i'm on tv so i'm holding the microphone and uh with my right hand and i got a messed up ring finger on my right hand i was once playing flag football and my finger got caught in someone's pocket on their shorts i might have told the story before i don't really remember but uh so my finger got caught in the shorts. I ruptured a tendon. My finger's all messed up. It didn't heal right. I had this big contraption. It was this total disaster. I don't think, I, whatever. Didn't heal right. Doesn't look right to this day. You see my right index finger. It's sort of demented. So I'm holding the microphone with my right hand. It's my first time on TV. I'm talking, blah, blah, blah. I'm done. I finish up. I get a text from my buddy. He's like, yo, do you know what you just did? And then I start getting tweets. I'm like, no, no. Well, what happened? He's like, Yo, you mf the world for 45 seconds. Your middle finger kept sticking up from your right hand as you were talking. Like slowly it would inch and inch up, inch, inch up because the tendon on my ring finger next to it was so tight. So the finger next to it would slowly build up and my middle finger would slowly go up, 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 up. And then sort of be standing up towards the camera sideways. And then I would, you know, make a, a fist unknowingly. And it would slowly go up again. So I gave the finger on SportsCenter, although luckily it was ESPN News at the time, and it was a summer Saturday, and I hopefully nobody was watching. I think no one was watching because I still have a job. And this was my first experience on camera. So now, if you ever see me on camera, you're going to see me holding the microphone with my left hand. And you know why? Because... That one time, that first time I went on TV for ESPN, I learned I cannot hold the microphone with my right hand because if I do, I'm going to finger the uh, give the finger to the audience the whole entire time. 
So you will never see me hold a microphone with the right hand. That's my story for today. And that's this episode of Breaking Big Lou. Remember, follow along on Instagram. It's going to be very important this summer. Tell everybody you know. Follow along on Instagram. I'm going to be giving you daily Daniel Jones feature on Instagram only. Okay? You can catch me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email. Ask me questions. I'll do a bunch of whole Giants After Darks on this podcast on uh, social media. I'll answer your questions as much as possible. And remember, like and subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Podcatchers, ESPN app, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. Next time I speak to you, the New York Giants will be in full-blown training camp mode. Get excited. See you next time.